Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you, Daniel. Good morning, church. Looks like I have some uh, maple donut on the pulpit. <laughs> Is that you, Lee? No? <laughs> uh, like it, it's not beyond me to have uh, donut frosting up here, but maple, that's, that's not me. And so uh, this morning, very excited that we get to uh, finish our study through the book of James. In this final passage, we're going to look at James, who to nobody's surprise is going to be talking about persevering, prayer, and the power of the tongue. All these things that James introduced early on, and that he keeps coming back to you and talking about again and again. In fact, you maybe have come during this series and have thought, oh, okay, well, haven't we talked about this before? Like, the tongue, like, don't say this, say that, and absolutely. And so this sort of argument presentation is known as recapitulation. Can you say that? Recapitulation? Recapitulation, yes. And if it seems odd that why are you bringing this up at the end, at the end of this series? Well, the reason for that is actually, I didn't think about it till now, for one. And secondly, we need to start thinking along these terms before we get into the book of Revelation where we're gonna, you're going to have the same thing happen. Didn't we already have this event? It feels like we, we've gone through this over and over. And yes, this, this is one of the ways the Bible works is through recapitulation, starting in Genesis and the creation account, where the same thing will be repeated for emphasis and maybe a different um, application or something else to highlight. We see this throughout the prophets where this repeated thing, and praise God, even, even um, talking about Jesus, all these passages that keep coming back to it. And so the book of James is is very much like that. In fact, it's interesting, um, as I was telling some of you this morning, that James, and we don't know what it was like as he was writing this letter. We don't know if he had a time frame or a certain amount of paper, whatever it may be, but it seems like all of a sudden he needs to close this letter. And so he's introduced these several topics, and in a matter of sentences, is going to close them all. And so as far as preaching a sermon, it's really hard to outline. It's just He's going to try to wrap everything up very quickly, right? His bus is coming, whatever it may be, he needs to finish this letter. And so this morning, just keep that in mind, he's going to try to tie all of the loose ends up about everything that, that's, that he's introduced, including uh, persever- perseverance and patience prayer and the power of our tongue or how we use our tongue. Now, I really, um, this week especially, I felt the Lord speaking to me about this idea of, of words as works. And that's one thing we're going to look at later on in the sermon. And that is maybe as we've gone through James and he's talking about a faith that has works that support it, maybe you've looked at your life and like, wow. I don't have works. I don't have anything working in my life. I don't see God working in my life. Like, how do, how do I know I'm saved? 
without these things that I'm doing, right? I'm, I'm not a preacher. So what does it look like? What do my works look like? And so I think this morning, think along the terms of maybe it's time to stop looking for your works and start listening for your works. If you want to know if you have faith, listen to the way you talk. That'll tell you if you have works. Not only that, the way we talk and, and what we do with our words is works. And so I, I think that's the way James is kind of wrapping this up is you need works, but also the tongue is so powerful. Think about works in your mouth, something that you can control every day, all day long. <clears throat> and so our text today will be James chapter 5, verses 7 through 20. Our sermon is titled, Suffer Well. Let me, let me pray for us. Lord, you are good. I thank you <clears throat> for James. Um, he's just being honest, Lord. It, it, it's such an encouraging book, but encouraging in that you love us enough to set us straight, to tell us the truth, to tell us how it is, Lord. And as we finish this book, I ask that we would be convicted of its whole teaching, Lord, that you are worthy to be followed, that following you doesn't mean success. It doesn't even necessarily mean health or anything like that, Lord. But you say that suffering, that we can have joy in suffering, that we can call upon you and find our joy in that process and that you use that process, Lord. And that you've called us to be very aware of the words that come out of our mouth, Lord. That they may bring you glory, Lord, as we can do even in our suffering, Lord. I thank you again for this book. I thank you for this church, Lord. Please speak to us, Lord. Let your spirit uh, convict us and guide us, Lord, to your truth and to be more like Christ. Amen. And so this morning, I want to start by looking at patience in suffering. Right? All themes we're going to talk about today, we've talked about before, and James is coming back to them one more time. Verse 7, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the earthly and late rains. And so patience is that fruit of the Spirit that I think if, we had, if we're being honest, that none of us wants. It's the one we're least receptive to, right? If we had our choice of spiritual fruits, of things we want to grow in, I think that would be at the bottom of the list, right? Right? Nod with me, church. Yes? I mean, why? Right? Because we know how we get patience, right? And so we, man, God, if you could just give me patience without the whole process part, that, that would be wonderful. Yet patience is one of the primary applications of this book. His audience is cold and hungry and poor, abused financially, uh, uh, verbally, sometimes spiritually by those who would say they're their brothers. And what is James's response? Be patient. Persevere. Pray. And if you remember back in chapter 1, also, count it all joy, right? You guys should have joy right now. Why? Because there's this precious fruit that we see in, the, in this verse. There's, there's this fruit of our patience 
that brings us joy in suffering, that develops our character, that, that develops our holy character and brings us to God and is rewarded with the greatest treasure of all, which is God himself. And we find this truth in verse 8. It says, You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts. The coming of the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at the door. We must live in the reality that at any moment, for whatever reason, we are about to be face to face with God. Now what this made me think of is if you've ever, I, I know for me, you know, come almost five o'clock in the afternoon when I was younger, my mom would say, your dad is almost home, right? And I don't know who that is for you in your life, but for me, it, your dad is almost home was check yourself. Like, think about what you're doing right now. And so when, when mom said, dad is almost home, it's like you would freak out. Even if you're not doing anything wrong, it's like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? What am I, like, check everything, because you want to be caught caught doing something right, right? Not doing something wrong and doing something right, even, even suffering well. And so here it says to, to take heart, right? To establish our hearts. What does that mean? Dig in. Dig in. For those of you who have been to the ocean and a wave is coming, you know, I know, I know what Jacob would do with the wave. But the rest of us, we're not surfing on that, right? Like, we're going to dig in, plant our feet, and just wait for that wave to hit us. Or if you're smart, just duck under it. But, you know, there, there's something about bracing ourselves, and that's what James is saying here. Be patient and just dig in. Grab hold, establish, be firm. And we do this with the Word of God. We do this by the implanting of the Word. We can't just hang on to anything. We can't, I can't hang on to this pulpit as heavy as it is, I have to hang on to the word of God. That's where I'm going to find my strength. That's something I can hang on to even when, when life gets hard. There's nothing else you can hang on to except Christ himself. And we are to do this with patience. As the Apostle Paul mentioned several times, think like a farmer. Right? He, he says this, this several times, think like a farmer. What does that mean? Any farmers? I don't think so. Any farmers here? No. And so I'm the farthest thing from a farmer, uh, unless we're counting video games. Uh, okay. One for the kids to get. Um, <clears throat> but we plant something. We say we just planted it. I, I don't even know what that looks like, but I just planted something. I can't just like stand there and wait for it to grow, right? I, I can't do that. And so that's the image here. And patience is trusting in the Lord. If we have our roots, if we're established in the Lord, we can plant something and not be anxious about it and not be frustrated about it. And we can walk away from it in faith in the Lord. That he's going to do this thing. I can be patient and not have to come back every day and check because the Lord has this under control. And we believe that because of the word, because we're, we're rooted in the word, right? The implanted word. And so we're able to have that faith. We're able to be patient. Again, why should we be patient? The coming of the Lord is at hand. 
do we believe that is true? Is that difficult? Is it difficult just to be patient and suffer? Answer is yes. Right? Praise God if it's easy for you to be patient while you're suffering. I, I had a root canal this week, and I, it's only been a couple days, and I'm like, really, Lord? Like, I'm still, still doesn't feel good? It's been like two days. <clears throat> and so it's difficult to be patient. But we must believe, again, rooted in the word, that God rewards those who are patient. Right back in James 1.12, what did it say? Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And so how great a reward must it be? How great is that prize that you're looking forward to, that you are okay suffering, that you have joy in suffering? How great a reward would it take for you to be stretched and your patience torn apart and stretched to its limits? How great a reward would it have to be to bring you through that? It's the Lord himself. There's nothing else. I don't care what thing you want or what car you want or whatever it is. It's not going to get you through suffering. But the Lord will. That crown of life that's mentioned there, entrance into eternal fellowship with the Lord, mind-blowing joy. That's the reward that's going to get us through suffering. Why is this difficult to, to um, understand? I think partly because we're American. We have no idea. Like, I love you guys, but we, we, not you, we, me, we have no idea what suffering for our faith looks like. We believe the people with the bigger churches and the charlatans on TV who say, the blessing of the Lord is health, wealth, success, and growth. If God approves of us, we will grow. Nonsense. Where does it say that? You know, I, I will hear people say, well, what about, you know, Acts chapter 2? You know, the church grew thousands of people in one day. It's like, okay, well, when your shadow starts healing people, let's have that conversation, right? It was, it was a different... It was a different thing, you know. If Peter walks through the door, you know, I'm sure he can grow this church. <clears throat> now, does God bless people with health, wealth, and success? Yes. Yes, praise God. If you have, you know, some of us have all those things. Praise God. We will come to that a little later in this sermon. Praise God for that. That, that is from the Lord. Every, every good thing is from above, from the Lord. But is that the promise of the gospel? No, nowhere ever, nowhere ever. More often, just like Jesus said, as we went through the book of John, you remember, you guys are going to suffer. The world's going to hate you as much as you love me. In fact, I, you know, I, I argue that you want to know how much you love the Lord, ask yourself how much you're suffering for your faith. More often, as James says here, it, it is the lack of success and growth, or whatever it is, wealth, health, you name it. It's the lack of that that brings you closer to God. Right? It makes you depend on God. 
It makes you depend on God. You don't know that God is all you need until God is all you have. It makes you depend on God. It's a great place to be. And remember, James's argument in this book is that riches is a spiritual disadvantage. Not impossible. I'll say it all day. Riches is not bad, not evil. You can be an awesome Christian, as many, as many Christians were who had money. But there's a disadvantage you have to be aware of. You have to know that to overcome it. Don't be deceived. Now, one interesting application of this we find in verse 9. As he's telling us how to be patient in suffering, he talks about the tongue, right? James is always coming back to, what are you saying? And so even as we suffer, there's something about the way we suffer, even the way we use our words in suffering that we find in verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And so the application of, of suffering well is to not grumble. And so even if you are upset, if you're going through something bad, I'm not talking about being in pain. It's like, I'm not saying, hey, don't tell anybody you're in pain. Like, I, I complain as much as anybody, right? If I get gout or my back hurts, we all know it, right? And it, that's not what it's talking about. It's like sowing discouragement, complaining about something, you know. Um, this church, I've said before, is not like this, but a church that would complain about the color of the carpets, or the song choice, and just sowing disunity because they're not satisfied with something, and so they're suffering. No, that don't don't complain. Don't undermine one another. You know, quite frankly, ministry is not easy. Being a part of a church is not easy. Do you guys know that? <laughs> like, it's not easy. And I'm I'm not speaking just as a pastor, but you know, just being a part of faithful who have attended Vanguard for all these years. <clears throat> and so another um, application of this is that James gives two examples in verses 10 and 11 of what this looks like. Um, does anybody, is James their favorite book? Show of hands. At least one, two, three, <coughs> a couple of half hands. All right. So we probably got, like, it's like, it, it's a fantastic book. And I think this is one of the things that makes this fantastic um, is that James is such a good preacher, um, both with his illustrations, as we will see, um, as we've seen with like talking about the tongue, all these illustrations, and the mirror of our faith, um, but also the way he uses the Old Testament. I mean, he's a great preacher, and so um, he just lays it out. And so, uh, you know, as a pastor, sometimes it's difficult to come up with illustrations because it's there, you know, and so James does a great job. And so he gives you two examples if you're like, well, what do you mean? How do you suffer, suffer well? Well, verses 10 and 11. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so first we have the prophets did Israel like the prophets? No. They had the worst job ever. Not, not, they wouldn't say that, but I mean, if you, this would be at the bottom, along with patience, the job you want least in Israel. If you were an Israelite, you don't want to be a prophet. Why? Well, one, you're wrong. 
Um, but the other part of that is, while you got made fun of, you got rocks thrown at you, you got verbal assaults thrown at you, you were sawn in half, you were boiled, you, you name it, the prophets were hated. They were absolutely hated. They suffered. However, in their suffering and their faithfulness, the prophets were the closest to God. And so if, if someone didn't want to be a prophet, they didn't get it. The prophets heard the voice of God. Can you imagine that? How many of us would trade suffering to being so close to God that we just heard his voice, right? Like, like just, just to do his will and even be his friend, as he says in, in some verses. Just, he would just talk to you. How many of you would suffer to have that joy? I hope that you would. And so they suffered, and they suffered well. Why did they suffer well? Because the word of the Lord was in their mouth, is what it says. As much as they suffered, for us, they, were, like, they didn't have the gospel then like we do. They weren't talking about Jesus. They were talking about Yahweh and the covenant. But for us, suffering, it should never stop us from preaching the gospel. We want to suffer well, suffer with the word of God in our mouth, suffer while bringing other people to God. See if that doesn't lighten your suffering. I don't think any of the, the, the prophets would have traded everything they went through, and they went through a lot to have that relationship that they had with God and to have the, the, the crown of life, which they have now, which we've seen in James, which we're going to see in Revelation again. It's a thing. We have to think along those terms, the crown of life, even in our suffering. Second, we have Job. Has everybody read the book of Job? Yes, right? It's a great book. Um, unless you're Job. <coughs> and so what, what happens to Job? Job loses his children. Oh, my gosh. He loses all of his stuff. Right? He loses, he loses everything he has, even his health, by the will of God. So, and, you, and you, you'll never hear anybody on TV preaching that do you? Right? That can't be God's blessing that he would allow this to happen to Job. And to make things, I don't know if it's worse, I don't think there's anything wor worse than, than losing his kids, but then his wife and his friends just, they're on him. They make him feel miserable. Right? And if you know the story, like, there's nothing wrong with Job. He's a cool guy, righteous dude. There's nothing wrong with him, and he's just they are verbally assaulting him. <clears throat> He's miserable. He's suffering. Out of everybody in the Bible, oh my gosh, this guy is suffering in every dimension. He is suffering. But here's the thing. Job did complain. And Job challenges God over and over. God, like, we, just tell me what I did because Job knows he hasn't done anything wrong. God knows he hasn't done anything wrong. God, just tell me what I did. But that, that's... It's not because he did anything wrong. And so why is Job an example then? This doesn't make sense. Why is Job an example of suffering? Well, in Job chapter 2, verse 10, <clears throat> it says, Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? Job let God be God. Job let God be God. And he says in those verses, like he believes that it's God who's letting this happen. 
right? And so Job suffers. We don't know for how long. I mean, just for us, it's 40 chapters. Even for us, it's a long time just reading those chapters. Now imagine how long that actually took place, and he suffers. Well, what's God's answer to Job's suffering? What's God's answer, answer to Job's challenge to God? Why is this happening? And so in Job chapter 38, really the whole chapter, but just looking at verse 4, <clears throat> where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And it, it just leads into a fantastic chapter where God is just explaining all the God things that he's done, right? And so he's basically, he, he's challenging Job. It's like, hey, Job, okay, let's come. I'm not sure which one of us is God. Okay, so I was there when I created everything. He's just letting him know. It's kind of passive, but, but it's just, he's God. And so it turns out that, that Job was right from the beginning when he let God be God. What happened when Job let God be God? What was his reward? God. Like the reward of all his suffering was God revealing himself. That's how amazing God is. That that is all we need and we forget. Job does not complain again after that. And yes, people will say, oh, look how God blessed Job after that. And it's okay. God made it up to him. No. The blessing was God himself. The blessing was hearing God describe God, right? He was just revealing to Job, Job, whatever happened, you must know that I am God. That, that is the blessing, to know God, to, to trust God. Now, we don't know. It doesn't say that Job ever found out about Job chapter 1. So the whole time Job suffers, right, we, we have some insight into what's happening that Job doesn't. Job doesn't realize in his suffering that he is glorifying God. And that's what's happening. If you remember back in chapter 1, right, where, where God, the, the Father is talking to the Shaitan, the Satan who's reporting to him, and saying, like, like, he's challenging God and saying, I don't think you're reading this situation right. Right? Job only loves you because of this and that. And God says, well, watch the way he suffers. You want to know how God I am? You want to know how much I understand Job and he understands me? Watch the way he suffers. And so that's to say how we suffer can glorify God because we don't know why we're suffering. And so may we suffer well and suffer in a way that brings glory to God. May we suffer by being patient, right? Establishing our hearts by having the word of the Lord in our mouth, by preaching the gospel, and just by letting God be God. Just let God be God. Now, the second point this morning, as I mentioned, James just starts introducing topics to get them all <clears throat> wrapped up here. Kind of changes a little bit. And he goes back to talking about prayer. Tongue, power of the tongue, and now he's, he's back to prayer again. And so in verses 13 through 18, we're going to look at four, four ways to pray, four prayers to pray that, 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 that he crams in right here. And so three of them are going to be really short, self-explanatory, but man, one of them we're going to have to spend some time with. We're going to set up camp and we're going to look at it. We're going to talk about it. 
And so four prayers for praying. The first is prayer for times of suffering, which is the first half of verse 13. We will come back to verse 12 if you're following along. We'll come back to it. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. If you are suffering, pray. I would go as far as to say, you can't find joy in suffering without prayer, without the word of the Lord. What are you going to go to? Right? You can only watch so many episodes of Friends or whatever thing you're trying to use to ignore the fact you're suffering. And so, as James is saying here, if you are suffering, pray. Bring God into it. Not that he's not into it, but you want to bring God into it. And you want to draw near to God, as James has talked about. If you want to let God be God, present yourself to God, right? It's a posture. It's not that God is far away until you pray, but it's a posture of of submitting to God in your suffering. And just maybe if there's something um, perhaps you need to learn through that suffering, and it just may be patience, right? The second is prayer for times of joy, the second half of verse 13. <coughs> Excuse me. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So what do you do if you're having a good day? Anyone? Pray, praise, right? And so... If you're suffering, pray. If you're having a good day, pray. And I, I think, like, the word pray here, I, I, think, I do think it's like a, a play on words where it's pray, praise, right? So we got donuts this morning. Thank you, Lee. Like, praise God, right? You, 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 you look at your spouse, right? Praise God that you have them, your children, grandchildren, whatever it may be. Whatever, any and every good thing you have, praise God, You have joy and suffering, praise God. And so we see, so what did James cover in, in one verse? When do you pray? Always. Bad day, pray. Good day, pray. Praise, right? And so the third one we find here, <clears throat> prayer of the highly sick. I was trying to think of a better word than highly. I don't know. Extreme. It's It's... So, someone who is very, very sick. Now, let's read this together, uh, verses 14 through 16. Um, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. Pretty straightforward, right? We understand this? No. Right? It's okay, guy. It's okay to, believe me, that's why I have a job, right? It's my job security. What do you do with this? Right? What do you do with this? Like, there's a lot of questions here. So let, let, let's camp here and take a look at this. Um, because this does apply to our local church. This isn't just a theological let's figure out what we believe about this. We need to figure out what we believe about this and see how it applies to Vanguard specifically and the way that we operate. And so one, the first thing that we notice is that these, these, these people are highly sick. How do, we, how do we know that they're highly sick? Because it just says sick. It says they must call upon the elders. 
it's, it doesn't say they go to the elders, right? And so what that means, the best way for us to think about, or the easiest way to think about it is maybe like a hospice, right? Or they're in the hospital. They can't come to church. They can't come to the elders. They must call elders, like, come to me. I am unable to come to you, which means they are not talking about a common cold, a migraine, COVID. I don't believe that's what they're talking about. But having said that, if you've ever been sick in this church and I know about it, you know that I will pray for you. You know I'll text you. Um, the elders will pray for you. That, that's not the issue. We will pray if you're sick, but that's not what's happening here. And so I don't believe that you have to be near death, which some religions would, would, would put this in that category, especially a Catholic, which we'll talk about. <clears throat> but very sick, even chronic, something where you can't leave your house, you can't get to church, your life is, your life is very difficult, you're very much in pain, and, and, and it may be that you don't know how much time that you have left. I think that's the sick person that is being talked about here. It says to come to the elders so the elders will anoint with oil. And we find this throughout Scripture, the anointing with oil. What does that do? Sounds like a weird religious thing. What's up with that? But we find it throughout Scripture. And, and the whole purpose of this is to set apart by putting oil on somebody, we are setting them apart to do something. Leadership, uh, the ministry, um, if they're sick. And by doing that, we're saying, God, pay attention. Pay attention to what is happening here. We are doing this for a reason. And there are different ways that the oil is applied throughout Scripture. This isn't a teaching on every which way uh, to anoint somebody with oil and every reason for it. And so... I believe, as I've done in past churches, what this looks like is just putting oil on your head. Just a little bit of oil on your head. That's all that's needed because the oil isn't necessarily like the point of this, right? If the oil was the healing power, then bathe in it, right? I mean, so that's not the point. The point isn't more oil is more God's attention. The point is, is the oil, the, the, the thing itself, the oil itself is not magical. We aren't even told what kind of oil it is. If you want to go down a bizarre rabbit hole, go online and look up anointing oil. I'll tell you, man, whatever your flavor, smell preference is, there's a Christian anointing oil for that. Uh, in our case, I'm fine um, just with olive oil. The oil itself is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, the healing work of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so even, again, even as we prepare for Revelation, it's worth noting that symbolism doesn't mean not real. This is the one time having a degree in poetry makes sense, right? Because my bachelor's degree is in creative writing English poetry. <coughs> I could write a mean poem. Um, <clears throat> but so symbolism, it's like, well, that's not real, that's symbolic. That's not what symbolism means. Symbolic means this thing, whatever it may be, in this case oil, symbolizes something that is real, like your baptism. 
Your baptism is real, and so in this case, it's symbolizing the presence of the Holy Spirit and God's attention right on this. So that is real. That is real. And yet there's still one more aspect of this ceremony, um, and, that, and that's the confession of sin. As Protestants, what are we talking about? Right? And so let me read this again, just, just to make sure. You know, this isn't me just, just saying this. 15 and 16, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. <clears throat> and so we find in this confession, I mean, we're just reading it, there is a connection between some sickness and sin, right? Some sickness, some is a result of sin. And we come to this again, right? This is what James is saying. And in humility and faith, we're going to come to it not completely understanding. We're not going to leave here understanding what this means or, or make a chart that explains this perfectly. We're just reading and being faithful to what it says. Some sickness requires confession and repentance in order to be healed. And you may recall, you know, in, in the Gospels, you know when Jesus heals somebody? Do you remember what he says after he heals them most of the time? <coughs> what was that? Sin no more. Thank you. Absolutely. He doesn't say, hey, try not to get sick again. Wear a jacket when it's cold outside. Try not to get sick again. He says, sin no more. Or your sins have been forgiven. It's like, oh, I don't even know that was the issue. I thought he, he was blind. You know, and so if you are sick, does that mean that you have sinned? No. Is it a possibility? Yes. I believe that that's what this, if we believe the word of God, that's what it says here. <clears throat> but there's a danger in this. This is where, I, I was going to say pastors, but I don't, I don't think a good pastor does this, but I think faith healers do this. And they abuse people who believe in Jesus and, and who want to experience this. And they go to, to events to be healed and to be anointed. And what happens? Spoiler, they're not healed. And, then, and, and so they'll ask questions, well, why wasn't I healed? And what does that faith healer say? It's not me. All right? I have the, this gift where, you know, I, anything I do and, and, and touch and blow on and think about will heal people. So if you're not healed, you must have sin. You must not have enough faith. It's abusive nonsense, and I would hate to be that person on Judgment Day. We live in a fallen world where people get sick and all of us die. Right? I mean, that's what makes the gospel so glorious, right? We get sick. It's like, oh, man, I'm frail. I am frail. I need Jesus. I look forward to that body that can dance forever with Jesus. I think I get a little too much reminder sometimes, but, but praise God. <coughs> The other difficult aspect of this is that not everybody is always healed physically. We have to address that. And so this is, again, where it becomes a little complicated. Not everybody is healed physically. This ceremony 
is physical and spiritual. Like, it's happening because of something that's physical, but yet the response is spiritual. And so you have physical and spiritual together in this where healing is a possibility. We know the forgiveness of sins, it says, is, is there. But what, what do we do with that? And so if you were raised Catholic, you probably, you, you, you look at this ceremony, what does this remind you of? The Catholics call this last rites. This is last rites. You are about to die. Let us anoint you, confess your sins so you can go and when you're raised again, you're going to be, you know, you'll be better. You'll be better off because your sins will be gone. So for the Catholic who reads this, <clears throat> and I'm not trying to diss Catholics, I'm, I'm just, so you understand their theology, is they would look at this and say, this is purely spiritual. Because when it says that you will be raised, you will be healed and be raised, well, when Jesus used that term, what did he mean? He meant the afterlife. On that last day, I will raise you. Everyone who the Father has given me, I will raise you on that last day. Right, that's to eternal life. So the Catholic would say, well, that's what it's talking about. This is so you can be saved, right? And I don't think that's what it's saying here. I, on the one hand, yes, there is the spiritual implication of confession and healing spiritually and really getting you ready to, to meet your maker. But the other thing is we do this with the anticipation that you being healed physically is not only possible but wouldn't surprise us. And so there's a difference there. We believe people can be healed. I believe people can be healed. Is it like in Acts, you know, first three chapters of Acts? No. Walking behind my shadow will do you no good. But this whole thing, the reason that, that it gets God's attention is because it's an act of faith and humility. Faith and humility, especially in our culture. Think about this. James, can you come over, throw some oil in my face, and let me confess my sins to you? No. Who wants to do that? Nobody. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. As Protestants, wait, I have to confess my sins to you as, as you throw oil in my face? No. But yes. And so why? Because it's humility. You're submitting yourself to God. You want to get God's attention. I, I think it works much like fasting, where God has ordained certain ways. If you want to get God's attention, as I preached, I think maybe about a year ago, on fasting, <clears throat> there's something about fasting that God has ordained. I will pay more attention to this if you do this this way. God says that, not me. As we're in this case, anointed with oil and confession, God says, James says, God will pay more attention to you. So it's not like we're trying to be silly and, hey, God, look how silly we are. We're, we're throwing oil on ourselves. No, God said he will pay attention. God is the one who created anointing. It's God who sets apart. And so this whole thing is by faith and humility. Do all churches anoint their sick with oil? No. I see we have the answer. No. Okay, here's a trick one. <clears throat> Maybe. Does Vanguard Church anoint with oil? What do we, how about yes? <coughs> Show of hands, yes. Do we do this? Roger, I know you know the answer. <laughs> and so the answer to that is yes. Yes, we do. So we have this difficult text that we didn't skip over. We could have skipped over this. 
we could have just went right by this, but no, we're going to deal with, 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 with a difficult text, and, and we're going to apply it to our lives. We're going to apply it to our church life. And so you need to know, if this is you, you can call upon the elders, and we will come to you. We're not going to call you on stage or the parking lot. You know, even if you can come to church, this isn't about embarrassing you. You call upon the elders, we will come to you, as this text says. We will listen to your confession. We will anoint you with oil. And we will pray for you. And we will set you apart to God to do whatever he will as, as you just set yourself apart and let God know you are ready to, to whatever it looks like. You are, you are just letting God be God, right? We will do that. You just need to let us know. We may reach out to some of you. Don't depend on that. I mean, some of you are suffering that I don't know about. I don't know. Let me know, right? I only, I only know what I know, so please let me, let me in on that. And it, it, this is something that we need to do together. <clears throat> I imagine that a lot of you have questions about that steal. That's fine. Community group, after church, we can talk about it. We, we'll talk about it. So moving on here. The fourth uh, prayer that we find here is this prayer that avails much. This is a prayer that gets stuff done. All right, this is like a hammer. This is a serious, potent prayer. And we find this in verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. <clears throat> and, so we, and, and so, I mean, there's pushback against this because all throughout the Bible, God answers prayer, even of non-believers and of not good believers, right? So God answers prayer. We know that. But again, we're going to be, we're going to have faith that, that James knows what he's talking about. We're just going to, we're going to believe that, that God is speaking to us. And God is saying a righteous person's prayers have great power. That's just what it says. They can be more powerful, more extreme, uber, whatever you want to call it. And again, James just being, you know, just, lays it out. Here's an example. I knew you were going to ask what that looks like. And he talks about Elijah in verses 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, just like ours, just a dude. <clears throat> and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. You believe that's true? Yeah? That's crazy. Like, that's crazy. Do we believe that that happens? And I do. And so, and here's the deal. Like, when I first read this, my first thought, like, I'm not trying to, to, to make this silly. My first thought was, was jokingly, but not jokingly. We as a church need to get righteous, be righteous, before summer comes, right? You with me? And start praying, right? Just 10, 15 degrees. We're not saying stop all weather like Elijah, but God, like 20 degrees. And so I think, I know for me, that'll inspire me to be righteous. <laughs> and so... Just keep that in mind, because I believe that, that this is true. 
And it should really inspire us in our own holiness and righteousness that, that it affects our prayers. God says so. Now, there's, there's one more point I want us to look at this morning, and it goes back to the idea of words and works. Besides the themes of, of perseverance and prayer, James has talked about works. Faith without works is dead. Um, and the power of the tongue, right? Chapter 3, tongue is horrible. Oh, if you could hear yourself. So bad. But again, I suggest that James is pointing out that his argument once he introduces in chapter 3 how wicked our tongue is, almost every application after that is something that comes out of your mouth. Well, there's a couple of like dealing with money that he talks about as well, but everything else, it's a heart or tongue issue and usually put together. Say this, don't say that, pray and pray and pray, right? It's all, tongue is bad, works is good, but what do you do with that equation? Make your tongue have good works, and so I think very practically speaking that, that, that that's the way it works itself out. It's one area that we can all grow in for sure. <clears throat> and so James, again, just gives um, two examples, just great with his illustrations, great with his application, such a good preacher. Verse 12, but above all, we're going back to verse 12 for a second, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's like groundbreaking. If you're at a point in your life and you're asking yourself or praying, God, show me work, show me that my faith is real. I want to have faith that people can see this person is different. This person loves Jesus. Don't lie, tell the truth. I mean, that's your application, right? You want to be different, just start there. You will be different. What's up with this person just telling the truth all the time? What's wrong with them? They're not going to get ahead. <clears throat> that doesn't, as we've talked about before, something can be true and not have to be said, right? So just throw that out there. Someone doesn't look great that day, it's okay. Just keep that to yourself. And if you do this, well, you don't have to swear by anything. You know, if you just tell the truth, no one's going to ask you to swear by anything. The whole point of this, the reason they're swearing is because nobody believes them. It's like they're running out of things to swear on. It's like, no, just tell the truth. You just avoid this whole thing altogether, because you can control what you say, but you can't control anything you swear by. The second here is to bring a brother or sister back to the faith. In verses 19 and 20, another, another words as works. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings, him, brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Again, we're talking about words. Persuading somebody to come back to the faith. Helping save their soul. You know, and I love the idea of this. If I've never talked to you about this before, but it's this idea of just being a footnote in the Lamb's book of life, which we'll talk about in Revelation. And I'm excited about Revelation. I hope you guys are. Um, 
<coughs> but there's this Lamb's Book of Life that has everybody who's going to be in heaven and their names are there. And I know for me and for Vanguard, like, I don't need to be a rock star. This isn't like the Lamb's Book of Life featuring James or anybody else here. But if we could just be footnotes in somebody's name in the Lamb's Book of Life, like, this is this person, you know, Vanguard Church led this person back to the faith and, and, and they made it to heaven. I'm okay with being a footnote. Like, God, let us be footnotes. Amen? And this is one of my favorite things to do. Like, this is right up my alley. Like, ministry speaking, this is my, um, I'm trying to think of a baseball, like fastball right up the middle, just ready to be crushed, is somebody who, who understands the faith, who has concepts, who has dots, who has a framework, but they've left the faith. I love that person. Because you don't have to create the whole picture for them. You just have to bring them back and be like, well, here's what you got wrong. You already have these concepts, right? Just bring them back to Jesus. I love doing that. I, lo I love those people, especially, um, you know, I, I call them cultural Christians, where it's like they would say they're Christian or they were a Christian. They understand all the verses, but it's like they just need a little help. They need to be brought to Jesus, not just the theology book, but not just knowing about God, but knowing God. I love that person. And that's what it's talking about here. And again, it's, it's the power of the tongue. It doesn't say spend money on them. It doesn't say pray for them and tell them to get back to Jesus. Tongue works. And so with that, church, we are done going through the book of James. I hope you've been challenged as much as I have. This book has tore me up. During the week, I, almost every week, there was at least one or, or more moments of being in tears. Like, Lord, I am not worthy. Like, I can't even be a follower, and I have to lead people. I listen to what I say. My family hears every word I say, right? And it's not always like, like this, where, you know, and just, it's been so convicting it's been so co compelling as well to memorize Scripture. <clears throat> Never in my life have I tried to memorize Scripture. I know a lot about the Bible, but if, if you've ever had discussions with me, I know chapters, I know where it is, I know it's there, and I can find it very quickly, but like, it's this verse, you know. <clears throat> and that's not good. And so James has challenged me to implant the Word and to memorize the Word. And I hope you have been challenged to that as well. I don't think you can have joy in suffering without the word implanted in your heart. That's not where your heart's going to go. Your, your, your default is, is not to go to God. It's not. But when you have scripture and you believe it's true, if you believe the coming of the Lord is at hand, if you believe God is God, it changes everything. It doesn't mean the pain goes away or the suffering goes away. But, but that truth is what brings you through. I know God loves me. But he's let me go through this. And I don't know what my Job chapter 1 was. I don't understand how this brings glory to God, but all glory is to God. <clears throat> so whatever's happening here, God can be glorified. And so let me get closer to God through this and trust God through this. And even somehow have joy, which nobody in the world has, not in suffering. Do not be double-minded. I mean, that's one thing that stuck to me throughout this, like, oof. 
are we saying one thing or even acting one way, but there's a part of us that is not sincere or is manipulative or has an angle. James says that's not the right way to be. As long as you do that, as long as you are double-minded, you are going to be wrestling. Even if it's just one little area of your life, you refuse to give up or give to God or submit to God, it's going to be a wrestle. You give Satan anything, any foothold in your life, you're going to be miserable. You have to completely go for it. You remember what it says? If you would just resist the devil, what happens? He flees, right? That's what we want. We want to draw near to God. When Satan flees, we can draw near to God. And it says God draws nearer to us somehow. And so whatever that is in your life, I hope that you realize you need to stop being double-minded. I don't know what it is. I'm not, I'm not thinking of anything specifically about anybody. So if I'm looking at you, it's, not, it's just because I'm looking in that direction. But also if you feel convicted, praise God. As we will see in Revelation, the Lord is near. And as we looked at today, he's, he's coming as judge. And that's a fearful thing, right? Especially as a pastor, right? You're like, well, at least I'm not a teacher because you're going to be judged harder. So pray for me. Because I, I love teaching you guys. But it's such a blessing that when God comes as judge, that our sins are going to be judged in Christ. Right? That we get to meet Christ. And I'm telling you now, we have no idea how horrible we are or were and how beautiful Christ is until Judgment Day. Right? When it's just laid out. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says that your sins will, that you won't be aware of them. I think that's what provoked praise. I know. In the transaction, your sins are forgotten, white as snow, I mean, removed as far as can be. But I also believe what provokes worship. You know, um, those who have been forgiven more are the ones who worship more, right? That's what the Bible says. And so for me, like, I should be out worshiping all you guys. And so that, that is the end of James. Let me pray for us. Lord, Again, I thank you for loving your church enough to have a, <clears throat> a book that, that just tells us to uh, shape up. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.